Physio Spill Podcast. See it, you believe it, you achieve it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I heard Conor McGregor say that, so... Episode 7. Stuart Reardon tells his story and how to face adversity with the ultimate positive mental attitude. Don't miss this one. Episode 7. Very excited to uh, welcome this guest uh, to the Physio Spill a good friend of mine, but also uh, rugby league uh, legend, photography extraordinaire. I did do a little bit of digging, um, and uh, he described himself on his website as a filmmaker, YouTuber, videographer, photographer, author, model, and fitness addict. But also in another life, professional rugby league player. We won Super League titles, grand finals, the Harry Sunderland Trophy, represented England and Great Britain, um, but most importantly, probably... Uh, referred to as the best kick returner in Super League by Paul Cullen. So, Stuart Weirden, welcome to the Physio Spill. Thank you for having me, boys. Very excited. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing the story and, and your journey, Stu, because uh, I've, I've shared a small part of it, but uh, know what's in store and, and, and hope the listeners enjoy um, tuning in as much as uh, I have certain parts of your life. Yep. So, uh, sort of to, to go right back to the start, Stu, um, I believe you grew up in Bradford. Uh, as a young man, what, what was life like there, mate? Life in Bradford, you know, Bradford's a really interesting place, obviously because it's a city of culture. There's lots of different people. But I can, I can probably say this because I'm from there, but as a mix, as a whole, Bradford is quite a poor, like an undeveloped city. It, if you compare it to its like partners like Leeds, Leeds is his nearest city towards the Leeds is thriving, it's upbeat, it's got loads of business, loads of investment. Bradford like missed all that. But there's loads of pockets of nice places. I grew up in Whipsy, which is quite a nice area. It's not far from Oddsville Stadium. Um and it was it was good growing up. I had a great bunch of friends. We're all mad into sport. We all played rugby um from the age of like ten onwards. So it was a good place to live. And back then, like you didn't have phones, you were out every day, you was like doing activities. We, we were all like played rugby, we did sport, we were mad on sport, football, anything really. Used to. I think that's one thing that's missed nowadays. Everyone has phones and technology. Whereas back then as a kid, you were just out all day. You'd go out at like nine in the morning or on a weekend, obviously, you obviously got to school, but on a weekend, you'd, you'd come back at like eight or nine. Your mum and dad won't worry about you. It's only like 10 or 12 or 11. So, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed living in Bradford and growing up there. We, we were talking about that the other day in the physio room about, do you remember if you could get home before it was dark? So you'd just drag it out and out and out and you'd squeeze out every single minute of being in the park or with the yeah. boys and that. Oh, fond memories. Bradford City. Um, at that time was sort of very proud and, and had strong links with its rugby league identity. How influential was that in sort of guiding you to becoming a professional rugby league player? Do you know what? I never used to watch rugby as a, as a young, as a young kid from like onwards, from like 10 onwards. I only, I only got into it at 10 because I was good at sport. And the group of friends that I got really good friends with from like 10 played rugby. I got friends with Leon Price from like 10 year old. 
during my class at school on sports day we had a race and I nearly beat him and he was like oh you're really fast you should play for my rugby team I was like okay so I ended up playing for his rugby team his dad used to take us to train his dad was coach he was a really good guy my other, my other couple of friends they used to play so but I never really watched a lot of it I just really enjoyed playing playing rugby because I was a good runner I loved all sports I did like a mixture of um, sport growing up a little bit of boxing, a little bit of running, football, a little bit. So I think I always would have been involved in sport, but I never watched rugby growing up. I think I went to Bradford Northern a couple of times, but not not religiously. I wasn't a supporter of rugby. I just loved playing it because it was an out, outlet of like being active and friendship and everybody else did it. So I just enjoyed it. Stu, you mentioned about sort of the deprived area of Bradford. And obviously, I mean, rugby league uh, as a Northern-based sport is, is synonymous with towns and cities that, that do tend to have quite a lot of poor areas and, and deprived areas. From the point of view of Bradford, what, what, what made that for you? What was the definition of, of depravity? Was it crime, drugs? Was there something that, do you know what I mean? From that perspective, You've normally got that association. What was the association at the time when you were growing up? Um, oh, I mean, poorer cities like Bradford, drugs is more acceptable. So I grew up in... My, my mum and dad was a hard-working, hard-working people, working-class people. I have two younger sisters, lovely sisters. I still speak to them regular now. I have an older brother who well, I never got on with, and his generation... He, he was part of that generation where heroin came around and nobody knew what it was and everybody got on it thinking it was just like a phase or like smoking weed and didn't really know what it was about. So I think every, if you live in a city like Bradford, you're exposed to drugs at an early age. Everybody knows about them. They're easy accessible. So... If you got into sport, you could you you more or less steering away from that. So I always had them. my brother got on to heroin when he was like I would say fifteen, and I would have been thirty, twelve, thirteen. So I don't have any good fond memories of him from beyond twelve, thirteen, forty. Because we never got on. He was we were polar opposites. I was we shared a bedroom. I'd have like a multi-gym in the bedroom, training, watching Rocky, watching Matrix, weird, weird stuff. Whereas he'd be listening to Oasis or smoking and smoking stuff in my bedroom. We just constantly fight. So I, I was exposed to stuff like that at a young age and getting involved in sport was like uh, an outlet for me to like get away from it. So yeah, like, like a bit of an escapism for you. That that was your yeah. your release. Your your sort of right. I can take myself out of this situation and I can escape. But like you mentioned that social social element and connection that you get through sport. It was sort of like your right. That's my event. That's my concentration. I can get away from this by doing that. Yeah, and I always had a. I always, I've still got like a core of really good friends from Bradford who I was friends with from ten. We had a little gang. Everyone had gangs back then. I don't know if you did when you were younger. We had a gang. It was called the Cobras. We were small in we were small in numbers. There were like five of us. Mighty, mighty, that's a mighty punch. Small in numbers. 
but we all used to do, do sports. So it, I suppose having good friends who all are interested in the same thing keeps you away from the bad things that you can easily get involved in. When you saw that and went through that, did it give you that um, that feeling of you needed to do something different or were you already interested in, you were more interested in sport, you were more active anyway from a young age? I was always, I was always in sport, you know, from, from really young. I never really progressed anywhere in anything else great at school other than sport. I loved sport. I want a really big listener in all lessons other than sport and activities. I was just that way out. I really had a bad attention span, really, for teaching. But um, in sport, I just loved it, yeah. And, that, and it definitely kept me away from stuff. I still got involved in stuff because you're exposed to it and people do stuff. And having a brother who got on heroin and he's still on heroin now, he's, he's, he's still like an alcoholic. He's still really bad. And I, don't, I can't ever see him getting past it. But having that example, and I think anyone from my era saw the people, the lads who were a couple of years older who got involved in that, and it, nobody else my age got involved in that because of the example of what happened to those people, those those lads. A lot of them are dead, a lot of them are still hooked now. Just not had a good life. And it must be a, so powerful because he's had opportunities to like get off it. He's been a rehab twice, signed himself up. But I think the only people who really get away or escape it or get loose from being possessed by it is if they move away, far away. But you don't see anybody who associating you with that. That's the only people I've seen or heard of get off heroin. They have to move away and he's never moved away. He's never had it. My mum and dad have always took him in. He's never, he's never had it so harsh where he's had to, I think. Well, that's my opinion. And and Stu, I, I know how like you alluded to there with your sisters, you're you're very close now, but sort of growing up, did that did that have a an impact on what home life and sort of family dynamics were like? Yeah, home life was it, it really affected my sisters. It, it, having someone who's like addicted to heroin life big time mum and dad split up over it they just I can't really say anything bad about mum and dad but they didn't understand it they didn't they associated heroin with being ill and they still think it's pulling out they don't and they, I mean who does they're, they're a different generation to me but they just didn't know how to manage it like when when me and brother were fighting I left home at like 17 and I, I went to live with my aunties my mum and sisters to escape because we were just fighting constantly, sell stuff. And by the time I moved out, I could physically beat him up because I was bigger. But then, then he'd come back with weapons. Back, back when we used to fight as kids, like you would fight and that were it. You wouldn't go get weapons and stuff. But then that, that's, that, that would be his result to try match me because as soon as I started playing rugby and training and working, I was big, so I wasn't scared. Like you know, correcting people from stealing stuff from me, what I've worked for. Cause I used to work, I worked hard all the way through my life. And six, 16, we worked while we were at school. We worked at his friend's dad's factory. So, yeah, I lost what I was talking about there. But, I think, yeah. Stu, I think, I think 
we we touched on it with with uh, Joel's podcast about family and caring for people is is yeah. ingrained in what what makes family but there's also that line and it can't be an easy one where you you have to you differentiate between what's acceptable and what's not according to your values and and what's important to life so i can imagine imagine only imagine how tough that's be to decide where that was but it sounded like sounded like you had a very clear idea of where that sat as a young man yeah well, I, I still feel I'm glad that I moved out and got myself straightened out. My mum's sister, she's my mum's twin sister. She put me up for like six, seven months. And in that six or seven months, I got a contract with Bradford Balls. And um, in that period, I really like, like made step, 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 big steps forward in life. But I still feel bad that I left my sisters because they were just young girls and they were left with the same issue of like David being terrorizing the house, like stealing things, and my mum and dad had never get rid of him. And my mum and dad, my mum left eventually with my sisters. My dad stayed and looked after David, stayed in the house. So it went on really like for years, really. I think it's really hard to grow up in a house with a drug addict because everything revolves around him. And my sisters were only, they were a lot younger than me, They're like 30, 34, 30, 34 and 33, something like that. There's only a couple, couple of years between them, 34 and one's 36. So they, they they had to put up with loads as well and never had a great child. It were always about David and it were always about, growing up was all about, oh, we've got to straighten him out. And yeah, so it was difficult that they got moved around. Mum and dad moved out quite a lot and they separated for like 10 years and now they're back living together. It's crazy. Going like full circle. Sue, just from a point of view of you at the time, obviously you went and moved in with your mum's sister. Did you have, or did you find that you needed to share anything with anyone at that time? Did you have an outlet yourself who you could talk to? I just had my friends. I, I, I always had a good like Jan, Gavin and Leon, they were like my three main friends from 10. Um, so I talked to them. I didn't have anybody else to talk to. Um, I was still in rugby. I was working. So um, I was working at a factory then, I think, before. Yeah, I was working for Jan's dad. Uh, as a, I was a sportless driver at a printing factory. He's all right. Um, he gave us a job as soon as we left school with dad. So we all, we worked at school and then when we left school, we had a job straight away. Stu, just to ask you this, all, all this time, you've signed Bradford for the academy. Obviously, yeah. the, the under-21s get scrapped and you get put out on loan on, on, on at least two occasions and there's there's about four seasons passed from you signing yeah, and eventually making your debut for Bradford in the Super League. Was there ever a point in time in that four-year period where you thought, do you know what, this might never happen here? Or you, you you felt like you maybe giving up, maybe not actually pursuing that dream? Yeah. Yeah, during the whole process, I was like, oh, I don't think I'll get in. Bradford's team were amazing back then. They had such a big squad. They had depth. They had, there was loads of good players. 
who were out on loan, who were still playing second team. So I went alone in that struggle to try breaking the Bradford's first team. And there was there was plenty of times where I thought, yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, I was working other jobs. I was working at Planet Fitness at night, um, at a gym, you know, making protein shakes, washing up, cleaning the gym. I was doing all sorts of jobs on the side because I didn't want to leave Bradford, but I kept signing for less money because I got injured towards the end of the season. We want any money. Um, because they scrap the 21s, they just give you the same contract so you could go out on loan. So, yeah, during that whole time, I didn't think it would happen. Only when I went to Salford on loan, I played good on loan and I, I enjoyed it. I thought, oh, no, I'm possibly good enough. Yeah. Um, but it, it took like nearly five years to get to the point where I believed that I was good enough to try break in. And I didn't get the opportunity. Um, just off the back of being good enough, uh, Bradford had in the 2003 season they had about they had a, like a dramatic, a massive amount of injuries, massive in the back back line. So when they put me in, I was probably the only back left. <laughs> it's like who possibly good enough, who weren't injured, who could play fullback anywhere anywhere in the back three. That's where they lost the position. The last person who played fullback before me was Robbie Ball. He broke his hand and then didn't have anybody else to play there. Other lads were contracted out or sent on loan for like a year somewhere else. How did you carry on motivating yourself, Stu? Like during that period, what were your what was your just sort of share with us what your mindset was to think to yourself, right? I'm gonna push on. This is this is my 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 dream, my opportunity. How did you fixate on that with all the rest of these good players that were still in the B team that never did push on and make it? You did. What was the difference for you? I think I just kept going. I just kept going. I loved I loved the whole training, the whole aspect of being a professional, getting paid for sport, and that I always loved sport as a kid. So. To be doing it, I never really saw it as a job. I never really saw it as like, oh, got to go to work. I was like, yes, I've got to go to work. I love pre-season. As crazy as that sounds, like I love the whole structure of pre-season, how you train dead hard and try to get yourself as fit as possible for the season to begin so you can try get through that season without being injured and you all set new goals. Every team wants to win the league, but only one team wins it. I love all that storytelling build-up of it, like the camaraderie that you get in your team, the, the ethos. Um, so I suppose that kept me going and the, the fact that I just loved sport and training. Yeah. Um, Mate, and your work yeah, ethic I, as well. Like you, Obviously, financially, you weren't paid a lot of money to play though. So you basically then just subsidised your salary and worked around it to maintain the financial support necessary so you could still live and do what you needed to do to best support you as an athlete. You sk- you went on to the the, um, the debut at Bradford. From that point on, was it, was it when you made the debut, I know all these good players were still contracted there, was it easier for you? Was it, you know, was that difficulty still there to make the team? What was the process then going forward after your debut? Well, because the players who were injured were injured for quite a, a, a lengthy time. When I made the debut and I did pretty good, then I got another shot and then I became a starter. So for my first debut, 
Oh, well, I, I would have debuted a few years before, you know, just in trial games, but that's not really a debut, you know, like when they have pre-season friendlies. They used to play a lot of the second team, I'd give you a little bit of a half, 20 minutes. But that would have been my official debut in 2003, like played an actual game. Um, but yeah, the, the, the team, because the team was full of great lads as well as great players. They were proper good lads. Like the, the camaraderie with Bradford team was amazing like because we all trained together even when you're in the academy so the academy trained so hard so you'd come in during the day if you were full-time academy you'd run against the first team get beat up bad do kick returns all that stuff you'd go away have some lunch train in the afternoon and then you'd come back at night and train with a part-timer it, it was an epic long day like if you're in academy it'd be enough to turn people away of like not getting you're on sort of like I don't want to go into money, but you won a lot of money at all. You're on 50 quid a win if you won, or 75 at 21. Lads were on like, I don't know, seven, eight grand a year, um, like stretched out. It's not good money for all the hours. But yeah, from the debut and when I, when I first broke in, the lads were awesome. I kept playing. I played that season. I think I played 17 consecutive games right up until the grand final. And then I got man of the match in the grand final. Yeah, so I didn't know. Every, every every week I would have thought, am I going to keep my spot? Because I kept playing well. And I, I got a couple of minor matches that, that year as well on Sky. A couple of tissots, no big deal. Um, so because I kept playing well, I don't think there was no excuse to drop me and put somebody else back in, even if somebody came fit. Because I think I played fullback for all that season, but there was better players, like Mick Withers was a way better fullback than me. He was a great fullback, but he was injured quite a lot. And when even when he came back towards the end, he was fit for the final. Nobby couldn't really drop me because I played so well. So I think, if I remember correctly, Scott Naylor got dropped and Mick Withers, Mick Withers played in the centre, um, which would have been bad for Scott because Scott was a great centre as well. Um, but yeah, I just didn't give, there was no opportunity to drop me because I keep kept playing so well because it meant so much to me and it, it was a big struggle to get in. I think I just tried so hard in any game that it, it just, and when you bet, when you first burst on the scene, nobody knows you. So I suppose, I suppose it's a little bit easier to just like play freelance randomly and surprise people because nobody's got an experience of you. So. Yeah, it was a great season. I, that was probably one of my favourite seasons. Stu, so, do you think that the way that the academy days were, were sort of structured, that that made it easier when you got there? I, you know, you were used to hard work. You'd you'd been through that physical process and stress of of the long days, the hard training with with the part timers, but also the first grade. Do, do you think yeah. that set set the tone for the rest of your career around? sort of the dedication, the physical needs and, and graft just to to stay successful in rugby league? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at the Bradford Academy and the players who came out of there and went on to be successful at other clubs, when Bradford went into a lot of trouble, they sold a lot of young players. Like Chris Bridge, Brett Ferris, Ryan Atkins, they all come through Bradford Academy. Um, Paul Sykes, Rob Parker... There's like loads of players, Jamie Peacock and Nathan McAvoy, loads of players came out of Bradford Academy. 
Um, but yeah, the, the structure and the training, I mean, it was next level back then it, to train so hard. We had Carl Jennings. Carl Jennings was the conditioner, first team. Uh, and the academy and the 21s used to train super hard. Yeah, definitely. I think training like that, it built up a strong mentality for the rest of your season, definitely. Because you used to just train all the time. Three seasons were rock hard and long days. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I still liked it. Um, but we ever academy lads always had a moan. Why are we getting battered by first team? Because you used to get proper battered. You used to always shield and have to run for whack. And like the people like Paul Anderson and Joe Vagana knocking you on floor. Like, and Les, big Les, cleaning you out. So, and then you had to run, you know, when you have to run uh, first team against them, like full on grab. There's people running for whack. Academy lads are only under 18. <laughs> but yeah, it, was, it built up with. Really strong mentality for you to kick on. And that's why I think a lot of lads had success in other teams because they had that foundation of like how hard it had been to break in and to progress at Bradford. Stu, like at that time, you know, rugby, your rugby life is looking pretty positive. What, how's life looking outside in, in the things that that brings with regards to sort of the lifestyle you live? Well, um, do you know what? I didn't have an extravagant lifestyle. I never had one, uh, even when I, I finally got on decent money. Because even in 2003, I went on, I wasn't on a good contract. Um, I was on appearance money, and I was on like a flat fee. And then because I played so well in 2003, I finally got on like a, a good wage because I got picked for Great Britain as well. So um, I didn't do anything extravagant with the money that I got. And winning the grand final because you used back then, however many games you played and won, you got I think it worked out at like 500 pound a game or something like that. I can't remember. However, it's like it, the share comes out of like the money once you finish the top of the league. So, um, with that money, I always I got involved in properties, I really liked doing stuff up. I bought my first house, used the deposit for that, not bought it outright, obviously, got a mortgage, did it up. Uh, renovated it and then I took some money out of that bought another one because it were a climbing market and this is what everybody were doing was buying houses and remortgaging getting another one so yeah I got into houses I never bought any flash cars or like that or I was quite sensible but life was looking okay I think I'd met um, I'd met a, I'd met my girlfriend at the time I think Obviously, she was an older woman. So looking back now, I think it probably wasn't the right relationship for me at the time. But because of my because of my upbringing and moving around, living among sisters, and I suppose I wanted somewhere to live, but I should have just got my own place. But because I was still quite young-ish, I moved in with my girlfriend quite quite early, to be honest. Um, so yeah, things were going all right up until that point. I was there. I bought a house. I was living in a house where I was relatively happy. I was happy at the time, and you know, rugby was going well. I don't had any bad injuries or anything like that. So things were going good. You, you signed. You signed for Warrington, and I'd imagine 
at, at that time, that was probably a, one of your better contracts. <laughs> sort of, you, you'd established a name for yourself. You'd represented Great Britain, um, and sort of, if you if you were to draw a, a trajectory of your career, you were definitely on on an upward upward phase of, of life. But then, unfortunately, injury hit, um, and and then sort of things then unraveled from there. Do you want to sort of talk us through? those stages of events and, and sort of where that ended up? So I joined Warrington for the 2006 season. It was my biggest contract by far. Um, obviously, I want... Nobody's on great money at Bradford when you break through the academy because you always get signed to a longer deal. But I only had a one-year deal when I... When a two-year deal. And now on my last year in 2003, my money were renegotiating. But I didn't have an agent at the time. But then I, obviously I was mixing with the first team players. It was like, you need to get an agent. So I was like, I don't know what to get. So they recommended Andy Clark to me. And Andy Clark is a really good agent. If you're playing well, he can get you really good money. So he got me a really good deal at Warrington. Like Bradford was way off um, what Warrington was offering. And he probably, when I look, think about it now, for the player I was, even though I was playing well, it was a lot of money for my player at that time but it was a it was a Warrington were trying to build a really big team there was a lot of money floating around for players uh, at that time people were getting paid more than probably what they were valued at not putting myself down at all so it was a really big contract for me especially from where I'd come from and like the jobs I'd done and the struggle through the academy never having any money never having anything working at a gym extra jobs delivery driving all sorts of stuff so getting a massive contract was like, wow, I think I finally made it, you know, and I had a three-year deal as well. So which a three-year deal gives you a little bit of breathing space in rugby because before that, I'd always had one two-year deal. So you're always worried about if you get injured in a one or two-year deal, that could be it. It could be gone. If you've got a one-year deal and you get a serious injury, then your career could be over. There's always that in rugby. So I signed at Warrington. Things were going good. The first year, I played really well. We had a successful year. I was playing wing and a bit of fullback. We ended up getting to um, the playoffs. In the 2007 season, that's when I got injured, I think. So, yeah, things were on a downward spiral. Stu, just for, 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 ours, for our sort of position, really, and also for people that are listening, just talk us through what you were feeling at that stage. You, you've gone, you've injured your shoulder at the end of, of the 07 season. You then had yeah. six months of rehab. You've come into the 08 season and, and game seven or eight in, in 08, you're up to your Achilles. And and I'm sure you probably realised the, the severity, or did you realise really the severity of the injury, knowing that you're thinking, you know, this is going to be a long time as well. What What were you going through just from a point of view of the rugby side of things at the time? Yeah, um, I had a bit of guilt, to be honest. I had guilt that I'd signed a new two-year deal. I also had relief that I'd signed a new two-year deal. I'd just come off like six-month hard rehabilitation with a shoulder reconstruction, which was a pretty bad one. Um, so, and I wanted a good place at home. Like, my marriage was falling apart. We were already, like, breaking up. So I had other other things to deal with as well as the injury. 
when the injury happened, I was like, oh, it was like a nail in the coffin. I was like, God. And when I, when I, as soon as I did it, I researched like the period of coming back. And two months earlier, Chris Bridge had done the exact same injury. So I knew, I knew about the, uh, how serious it was yeah. and that you needed a knot and that it was going to be a long process. Um, so yeah, I was, I was devoured. I was in a bad, bad way. And Stu, with everything else that was going on in your life at that time, how did you, what did you do to try and, was there anything for you to do to keep yourself focused? What What was your release? Did you have anything at the time where you felt that, that helped me? Uh, no. I, I, wanted, I didn't have loads of interest back then. I was like, I think... When you're involved in rugby, it sort of takes over. It's so um, it's so committed and it, it's so structured. And because of the time it took me to break in, it, I was obsessed. I was just always about training, always about rugby. It would have helped to have had other things, definitely, other interests, other hobbies. I had doing up houses. That was definitely an outlet for me. I, I used to love doing houses. I did a lot of work myself. I had a lot of friends that were in trade, so... They'd come and help me and teach me stuff. So that, in a way, was an outlet. But having no leg, like, I wasn't going to be able to do that. Like, a lot of things had gone on during that time as well. So my marriage was breaking down. We bought a new house together, which we were going to do up, but that was off. I saw, I had the house, which was derelict, needed doing up while we were separated. I just snapped my Achilles. It, was, God, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. I mean, there's no good time for injuries. But at that time, it was the worst time for it to happen. Do you think, from from your point of view, we're looking at how you were when you were first breaking into Bradford, how difficult that period was, how that was a long time, but you maintained your motivation and it was just a mindset for you. That was just you. You enjoyed training. You enjoyed putting yourself in the position. You enjoyed working hard. Is that sort of something that you think helped you as well, that resilience that you built? And the resilience that you had naturally helped you during that period. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you you built a a really strong level of discipline and resilience up from being in the academy and breaking through and all the struggle that you went through. So it definitely helped me. And I was a laid back guy, so even when like all this stuff was going on, I could still see the funny side of it. I could uh, at the time. While I was rehabbing back from my Achilles, there was loads going on. Like I was, I was in a bit of trouble, so I was in a period of being let gently let go by Warrington, getting uh, a verbal warning, meetings. So I knew it was all happening. And then I had my agent phoning me, and he's like, "Stu," and I'd be like, "I'm getting sacked out," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you are," and I'd be like, "God, it's just things going wrong and wrong." So. I always had a good sense of humour with stuff and I didn't, I, I never, because I never looked at rugby as like this, like a job, I, I looked at it as like a blessing, even though I was getting paid good for it. I never really like, I took the career really seriously, but I never took myself too seriously. I could always have a laugh. I had good banter. Because um, what's, what's the opposite? You can either proper worry or you can just go, oh God, Man, my luck at the moment and just get on with it. You have to get on with it, otherwise just there's no other option. 
But I just I just mustered through it and carried on and put on a brave face. I had a good laugh along the way um, about my own misfortune. Uh, on my own, well, misfortune, my own poor choices. So, so not, not, not to kick a bat man when he's down to you got released by Warrington. <laughs> and, uh... Well, no, no, that's the thing. So I did get released by Warrington, but it was... The whole the whole period was so funny. So and I, I knew it was happening before they knew that I knew it was happening because they were inviting me for meetings. They're going, oh, if this happens and um, you do this, well, we can't have this. We'll have to let it go. And I was like, yeah, but it's definitely going to happen. So and they was like, well, you can go to this club, but you can stay with us, but we'll cut your deal in half. But if you stay with us and then you get found guilty, we'll get rid of you anyway. So I was like, hmm. Well, I'm pleading guilty, so <laughs> how does that work? I'm definitely going to get found guilty because I'm pleading guilty. So it was it was like a David Brent episode. I kept going into Warrington and meeting like uh, Andy Gatcliffe, I think it was, and, and uh, an older gentleman. I forgot his name. Uh, he's a good guy, but he's quite funny. I kept having meetings and meetings, and I knew straight away what was happening. I, I'm not daft. Um, so yeah, I did get released. They, they give me a release because I think I was like, so I was a good bloke. I just got in a bad situation, bad choices, and emotions have run high. And uh, if you look at the 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 seriousness of the charge of what I got charged for is battery, and it looks really bad. But what I actually did is touch someone's arm for a couple of seconds while I was on crutches in a in a in a boot. It was like five weeks after an Achilles reconstruction so I couldn't walk I won't go in there and beat anybody up I didn't hit a girl I've never hit a girl I actually touched someone's arm and said why didn't you tell me that is what I got found guilty for if I if I had beaten anybody up you shouldn't do anything what, what I did it was common assault basically but if I had beaten anybody up I would have gone to prison it were in the papers I was made an example of um, but still people think to this day that I've beat, beat girls up it's just like um, it's just a, a bad situation, to be honest, for anybody to be in. So, Stu, you you then got another opportunity, didn't you, uh, to go? I think it was across to Huddersfield Sea, which was probably a bit of a lifeline at the time. But oh. <laughs> oh, wait, we're going to end up <laughs> laughing again. But that didn't go very well either. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It was so. I got obviously Andy Kyle called my agent at the time, and he was phoning me up, and he was like, "Cool." Hull have got some bad injuries. They've got a lot of injuries. So, are you are you fit? And I was like, well, I don't know. My legs don't. I can run, but I don't feel like I did before. I just and I can't do single leg calf raises. It's, it's not happening. And he's like, mm, well, you can either take the deal at Hull and pass a med- if you pass a medical, or Warrington are probably going to get rid of you anyway. Um, so, what should we do? I thought we'll take the deal at, <laughs> at Hull then. So I took the deal at home, a five-month deal, so like pretty good money to be honest, and providing a providing a past the medical, and um, I got down there and they wanted me to play. I got down there on like a Thursday and they wanted me to play on Saturday, and I, I spoke to the physio. He's like, "What's the history of my medical, my injuries?" I told him the whole situation. He was like, "You you know his name, don't you? I forgot his name. He's a really nice okay. guy." Hope, yeah. Um, 
he was like, don't sound right. Um, I'm not going to play. Uh, I want you to have a scan first to see what's going on because from what you've told me, you're nine months uh, post-op, you should be fully, you should be fully running, you should be, you should be back to normal. He did loads of tests on me on the field and stuff. And then we got scanned and my Achilles was still snapped in the exact same place. I was literally running around on a little thread together. It just never healed. The same scar, same snap was still there. That's why I could never run properly. So that was a failed medical. I got a bag of kit from Hull, which was a win. So I got a training bag full of kit and, uh, and then told to leave. <laughs> but a lot of good came from that so, because Poppy put me in touch with Simon... Uh, I forgot his name. Uh, Simon Roberts. I'm like the name and loving well, this you name know, game. You know everybody. So Simon Roberts over in uh, Wrexham. Uh, so I went to... Uh, he took me to see him anyway and then he, he introduced me and I got a price for the op. I ended up getting the op like a week later on a credit card. I just paid for it myself. Uh, it was either leave it longer or not get it done and have to get it done by the NHS or just pay for it private. He thought he could fix it. He did the open surgery on me and um, yeah, I got released from Hull, had no money. Got my last wage from Warrington. I had like four houses at the time, three rentals, one that I would just finished doing up. I'd literally lived in it for like six months with me and my friend. We're having a right laugh. Bachelor pad, like proper, proper cool place. Spent the load on it, way too much on it. Um, I think the mortgage was like £800 a month. So I had to rent that out for six. I couldn't even get the right rental for it. Moved back to my mum's, get the op done and go through the whole process again. On no money. I had, I had literally a little bit left. I think, to be fair, actually, the Warrington lads, you know, because I'd been there a while, they had a collection for me and they gave me some money, which was a really nice touch. Then after, um, so Stu, yeah. the like, I'm I'm all for banter and lightheartedness, uh, you know. But I reckon that even tests the best sense of humour ever. But that sort <laughs> of situation, like, where where are you sort of back at home with mum? Rugby contract over, career in the reckoning, injured, like. How how do you sort of compartmentalise aspects of your life that are going on to sort of remain focused or what what are you holding on to to, to get through each day? Well, I got the op done literally the, the same week Hull released me. I took, uh, I booked, I think he got me in like a week later. So I had a week to run around, sort my life out get the houses rented out, move out, move everything out. I'm a mate, can't live there anymore. I got somebody to rent it literally in two weeks. Somebody looking for a house, they moved straight in. So as soon as I run around and done that, I knew that I could just concentrate on getting fit. And I suppose the rehab gave me the lifeline. I was still speaking to Andy and he said, if you could get fit, there's a possibility that some clubs will still want you if you can pass a medical. So... I had that in the back of my mind. I knew that if I have the op, I can't work, so I'm not going to have any money. Um, but I was moving back to my mum, so I didn't need a lot of money. The, the money that I had left would be enough to see me through. 
um, for the six, six, seven months. So I couldn't work. Well, at least three, four months you can't work. So I suppose the lifeline was just trying to get fit. And that's, yeah, and there would have been dark moments with my mum, but my mum and dad are quite funny. My mum's a really funny person. She's just like, could be worse. So, and my friends, like, they saw the funny side of it. They saw the seriousness. God, there was a lot going on at the time, but it was still funny at the time. It's true. But it was serious, but I could still see, like, the funny side because I'd done, I'd done it. I'd made the choices. So I wasn't blaming anybody. Like when I got left, when I, when I initially left Warrington, I was gutted and I was like, I had a bit of blame culture. But the longer I'd spent away from being involved in a club setup, the more like I looked at it from their point of view. Like if I would have come to that club and the division player who'd done this and been injured for like over a year, I would have got rid of him. It's, just, it's, it's a business. It's nothing personal towards me. It was just. I wasn't fit. I made a big mistake. I, I wasn't adding any value to the team. There's not a massive amount of money in rugby. So you have to like weed out the weeds, so to speak. And at the moment, at that time, I would have been, I would have looked like a, a rotten egg in that team for sure. So it was, it was my own, my own fault, my own choices. So I didn't, I didn't hang on to that blame for long. I just accepted it. Stu, it sounds like, uh, I don't know if you've ever read this, you ever read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? No, but I will, right. I'll make a note of it. That, well, you're, you're, what, you say, what you're describing here is, basically, you've got something that happens, then you've got a response, and in the middle, we're all, we've all got choices. And like you've yeah. reflected on your choices, and you've been very self-reflective and, and looked at what your response has been, and ultimately you've taken responsibility and accountability for the situations that you may have put yourself in or, or the developments of things that have happened, which is, a, a, it's inspirational, man. It's sobering to hear, to be fair, because we see in this generation where there's a lot of more outward blame before we look inward. And ultimately, yeah. if you don't look inward first, you, you're never truly going to know yourself or you're never going to truly make the progression and development in your life, which you obviously have. Just, just to go on with your, um, with that development of, of your surgery, and just to run that through again. If you're not signed for a club, who's paying for your surgery? Oh, I paid for it myself. Yeah, I put it on a credit card. It was like I think it was around six, six thousand, seven, six and a half thousand, something like that. Six thousand so, pound, yeah. So, like Sterl said, right, and with the best will in the world, you could have the best sense of humour ever, but <clears> man. Oh my God, you've you've gone through a process of your marriage breaking down, your contract gets um, released, then you go to another club, fail a medical, then you need surgery, then you need to, you know, look at getting renters in there to get the money back, and you put your your own surgery on a credit card, like your your ability you, to to pardon the pun, bounce back ability is ridiculous with what you've had in that period of time which is um, for a lot of us that go through life, especially I'll put my hands up here re relatively smoothly up into this stage of my life. It's, um, it's, it is humbling to hear, mate. So, yeah, thank you for sharing it. Really appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, 
Can I share something even funnier? And I reckon Stu, I then passed you on a medical <laughs> to sign for Crusaders. <laughs> yeah. But the time I came to the Crusade, oh no, actually, you had to put a lot of work into me because the time I came to the, because the time, that, when I came to the Crusades, I'd, I'd gone back to Bradford for a year and I'd played about 15 games and I struggled because I'd, I'd put a, quite a bit of weight on during not walking I've been in the gym all the time and when I came back because I've been out for like 18 months like all everything was going wrong with one side of my body I was like hamstring calf everything bad lower back pains. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't see the season now I ended up getting dropped towards the end of the season then I came to still and he saved me <laughs> he, you, you healed some I've got this guy he, he, if you can get him right he's going to be awesome <laughs> <laughs> I saw him some mushroom coffee, so he, he passed my medical. I, I remember them. I remember actually sitting down as you do, Millsy. You'll appreciate this. Like, I, I, I wasn't a, I didn't a rugby league historian, but you know, sit down and we we sort of told the story, and he's telling Stu's telling a story, and I'm right now down. I'm like, there's no way this guy's going straight. <laughs> Absolutely no chance. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not going to last the season for this guy. You have to let him go. But those, uh, I, I guess you, you know, I, I, I think the themes that you talked about, and that, that's why I asked you earlier, in Academy, what, what was really apparent still then was, you know, you were super dedicated. I've, I've, not, I've not seen someone that, that's worked so hard or, or, or so very clear about what they'll do to, to get back to, to obviously something that you love doing. Um, looking back as you can now, that interim period, w- was it all worth it to come back to play for Crusaders? I think then you played, you went out to France and played, carried on playing with the news. You know, w- w- was all that hard work worth? And was it what you thought it was going to be coming back? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, it was worth it to come back. Um, because that was my, my inspiration, my drive to get back fit. Whether I was going to play rugby or whether I was going to earn a professional contract, that was still a mystery. I had to pass a medical and I still had a pretty decent ma- name from my, my start in my career. Obviously, I got disgraced by what I did and the whole situation I put myself in. But I was still a good player and I was still, I was 28, 27, 28 when I came back. I wasn't like over the hill yet um, but because it, it took me so long to get back and I don't feel I came back the player that I was and I adapted and, and I, I adapted to being a, not the same player not as fast not maybe not as strong agility wise I adapted and learned more skills um, but in a way it was good to come back Um but I don't think it, it didn't happen the way I envisioned it. I didn't get back to the best. I didn't play a long career in Super League. I really enjoyed my time at uh, Crusaders before it went bust. I mean, the lads were amazing. That's what I think about rugby. So, and, and wherever you're from, so people have a, like a bond from where they're from. So I'm from Bradford. And I'll say I'm proud from being on Bradford. But it's not Bradford, the city. It's a dump. It's the people that 
I grew up with from the city, the people who are from the city that I have a, a bond and I'm proud of being from. I mean, I'm proud of growing up with them through the struggle, not the actual place. It's, it could be anywhere, same as like a team. It could be any team. What do I did I like about the Crusaders when when when, I, when, when you were there? The people, the club itself. Now we used to get paid late. Like the owners were terrible. The fans were really good. Repton's a bit of a dump. So as a whole, no, but the people and the players and like the staff, yeah, they made it what it was because you just like enjoyed it and you the banter. And so that, that's what I that's why I enjoyed about that. Even though the Crusaders season, I, I thought I played well. We we didn't we, we didn't do well in the league, but <laughs> I was starting to feel like I was becoming the player that I was before all the injuries because that was like two. Two years in being back, that was my second season being back in the Super League. So, in, in like, I think even to sit here and frame it the way you do, Stu, like, clearly you're a man of reflection and, and learning. Yeah. Are there any tips or are there any particular references? Millsy gave us one there about maybe how you, you framed your injuries. There is, are there any, any things, anyone that particularly helped that? that journey? Any phrases? I think I always try to look at things differently. You could have looked at all the bad things that had happened to me during my career um, and probably say, you could, you could look at my career and say, I underachieved or maybe I overachieved because I'm just a skinny kid from Bradford who took a massive struggle to get into Bradford's team, finally got in there, Played, played in the grand final, then ended up playing for his country. And I had that success. And then the follow on after the injuries, I never made it back. But maybe that was just my path, or that was my that was meant for me. That struggle was meant for me. You know, so if I did, did I, did I achieve or did I underachieve? Probably both. But we'll never know because I can't go back and change the situation. I can't go back and not be injured, not snap my Achilles. So, uh, it's just how you look at things. Um, I think, yeah, how you look at a situation. You can look at the bad things of the situation, or you can see the better, the better, the better, the better things of the situation, and try look at it from a better option. Yeah, I did have really bad injuries, but I learned how to rehabilitate from them. I met great people rehabilitating from them, and um, I showed great resilience. And I never quit, like really, even when. There's times where I thought, why am I going back to play rugby? You know, I've, I've been let down. I've been out of the sport. Um, but I just kept going. You have to. You, what's the, there's no other option, really. You have to just keep going and set goals and try to get back. Otherwise, you can end up being unhappy and be the what-if guy. What if I did? What if I didn't try? You never know unless you try, so... Yeah, I just kept going. I've always done that and just try and make the best of make the best of the situation and just do what I can to get back. That's all I did throughout that whole process. And it wasn't easy because with a lot of stages throughout that whole process, because of what happened at Warrington, I got to a situation where I had I'd borrowed money to build how to do up houses and rent houses and surviving all the way through to Crusaders. And I, the money that I was on when I got 
let go, it was half when it came back. I wasn't the same player. I didn't command the same value. I was risky because I was injury prone. So I was always surviving. I was struggling, you know, to pay bills, to cover, to cover, to cover houses, to pay credit cards back. The whole point, although I was happy playing rugby and uh, playing and fighting to get my career back, behind all that, I was struggling to pay bills. I never had any money. I was like thinking, God, my life is pay all my money out each month. So, you know, after the Crusaders, I went to France, didn't I? Because when Crusaders went bust, I was like, you remember that, won't you, the end? Right. <laughs> We'd all sign new deals, new two-year deals. Life's, life, life's looking good, two-year deal. <laughs> we all signing big contracts. And then I remember it. Um, and uh, before we announced new Super League licences, uh, Crusaders have withdrawn. And we all sat watching it on TV with our Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and everyone's looking at each other like, what's that mean? Well, pretty much all of us... <laughs> All of us in the room have just been sacked. <laughs> God, that was bad. Do you know what? I took that well. I took that well, me. But I was, I used to travel with PJ, and PJ was just like, "Oh God, I'm retiring. That's it." Man, I would have played. It when I would have played another year because I liked everybody here. But that's it. I'm done. Calling it a day. I was like, "Oh, shit! What am I gonna do?" He's like, "I don't know, buddy." So. I didn't even look for another because everybody had already signed for clubs. We'd already re-signed. There were no clubs who needed any more players. You were all everyone had already settled by then. So I didn't even look for championship. I think it was uh, Chop got me a deal in France, like and you, I could go like a couple of weeks later. And I was like, "Whoa!" It got me. It got me enough money to cover my outgoings and my mortgages back home, and some money to live. And I'd live in like a like a French big manor with like six of the players. And it was a proper great experience. You know, it was totally random. When I went there, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to France. I don't speak French. There's going to be a few foreign lads. I don't, I don't know anyone here. I just rocked up, got there. And then the, the lads who I lived with were proper good blokes. They were like three Aussies, a Kiwi guy, a French guy, and a big Tongan. And it was just it was like uh, it was like being at college, and I didn't go to college, so I missed that stage of life. But it was like being a college frat kid, and we had a, such a good team as well. We won a double that year in France, 2012 season. So like 20 odd games. So I mean, you 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 went out to France and those bits and pieces. There's 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 two pit bits that I really would sort of like to pick up on. Is is one around. I know that financial burden of, of, of your properties weighed heavily upon you. And yeah. was there a point where there was a decision to be made around that? And then yeah. the second part, which I'll remind you once you've answered that, is just about looking back now, are there, there are things, that books, people you've spoken to where you can really sort of align yourself with and go, yeah, that's, you know, I, I know you've mentioned stoicism before. Those things really ring true with me and were really helpful in framing things. So I'll let, I'll let you answer number one and then remind you of number two. Yeah, so after France, um, 
because I was with, I was with Emma, I had Joby, I had Joby as well. I didn't see much of Joby. I, had to, I came home every weekend we had off. Emma used to come see me um, for weekends. You get bites, including the deal. But I was always sending money home to cover mortgages. So even though the team was doing well, like I, half the money had to be sent home to cover bills. So when I decided to come home after that season, um, I signed for the Crusaders. Um, I booked myself like a personal training course uh, for the Crusaders by the deal. And then I had a, I had a few calls with uh, like financial, I think it was financial helpline or something like that, out of my situation. And I, throughout this whole time in France, I was getting divorced. So I had to remortgage the houses even more and pay my ex-wife like 30 grand, I think, 27, 27 and a half grand. So I got in more debt to get out of them, to get divorced and settlement. So we we're both happy. So I accumulated more debt. So it was going the wrong way. I was trying to get it down, but it kept on going up. <laughs> fighting, a, fighting a losing battle. So when I got back, I made a, a long decision uh, to, go, to go bankrupt. I thought, I don't need all these houses. I don't need all these things. Uh, yeah, I really liked doing them and it was a great experience. And I lived in a, big house with my friend for like six months a proper good laugh but I don't need it all like, and it was really stressing me out I just uh, you know, I was fed up with it all so when I come back I just thought yeah I spoke to him a few times they told me the severity of what happened the whole situation um, and I even tried to sell the houses before and they just wouldn't sell and when I put them up to sell when I put them up to sell the people who were renting them moved out. So it was like such a dumb thing to do. <laughs> I try to sell the houses while people are renting them. <laughs> I'll have to sell them. If I don't sell them, I'm going to go bankrupt. <laughs> so they didn't sell. The one house that had some money in, which was the big one, which said they do that got confiscated and I lost. So I just went bankrupt. Yeah. I just, but the one house I had left, um, I had that person to move out as well. So they were all out. And I just went bankrupt, stopped paying everything. And yeah, I went bankrupt. And was you know Stu, what? Stu, was that a, was that, was that a relief? Was, is that like drawing a line in the sand for all this, like it, for anybody, yeah. mate, anyone half human that, you, you know, you talk about struggle, mate. I think you've had your more than your fair share in your rugby career. So was that, was that a chance to draw a line in the sand and go, right, that's, that's my end point And it's time to now to look forward and something different. Yeah, definitely. At the time, it, I was gutted, really gutted, because I'd lost a lot of money. And I suppose if you look at it, I didn't have anything left from rugby career other than a few trophies and experiences. But I suppose that's what it's about, really, experiences. But yeah, at that from that side of it, I was gutted. But I had, it was a big relief, a massive relief. I was like, I had nothing. Like, I had no car, not a penny. Like, luckily, I had I was living with Emma, so I had somewhere I lived. Um, but I didn't have anything. I'd, I'd had a new deal off Crusaders. You know, I was starting a personal training course, so I could earn money. Um, but yeah, it was a relief, to be honest. The, the biggest part of it was a relief when I stopped people chasing me for money and thinking that I've got to pay mortgages every month, pay credit card statements. 
So, Stu, yeah. looking sort of looking it's forward. Good. Well, I know it is because I think now we're on to sort of the 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 stew now and sort of yeah. we've we've ticked off the other life to use your own words on your website, but you you went on and you've co-authored a number of books. I think it's five, two of which I've read, um, which I, I really enjoyed and listening to you speak there are sort of a, a rough reflection of probably part of your life. But you know, I know you've also gone into your your video and and those bits and pieces mate what how have you ended up where you are and how have you reinvented yourself and sort of not rebuilt i don't think re- rebuilt's the word because you were never broken but how have you how have you sort of got yourself to this point mate so i during rugby from when things started going wrong from like 2009 onwards i'd always done like self-development books I've done like I learned a lot about stoicism I wish I'd have known about stoicism before all these bad choices because I would have made better choices because that's what it's about a philosophy a philosophy on life about helping you make better choices thinking about your emotions before you act um, and, and the photography and the videography and social media and book stuff I'd always been doing that on the side I've always been learning photography I've always been learning social media videography it just takes a long time to to, to learn things like that because they're, they're completely different to what I used to do I'm throwing weights around running around rugby play running around a rugby field trying to avoid getting smashed by big people picking up a few tries now and again you know score a few tries but yeah all that stuff like it's just a new skill um so I was always developing it in the, behind the scenes. I just, when I had the opportunity to go all in, I've always gone all in, even with bad choices. That's, probably, <laughs> that's the telltale sign of me. I go all in. Sometimes it comes, pays off. Sometimes it backfires. But that's the beauty of all in. The more you go all in, the more chances you have of actually winning the pot. Sure. You, you, well, I, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned a little bit there about how, you know, stoicism you mentioned as, as, as one sort of area that you looked into in self-development. Can, can you give us an example of maybe something you've read that, that's had the most profound impact on you and how you have then sort of tran- transferred that into life? Well, I think The, the Obstacle is the way the, the best book that I've listened to. I've also listened to a lot of books. I do I do Audible. If you're not a big reader and you don't have time and you like to multitask, I think Audible is a perfect choice for anybody because you can jog, listen to Audible. You can walk, you can walk your dog, listen to Audible. You can have a coffee in the morning, listen to Audible. So it's a good way to learn stories and how certain philosophies and teachings and structures and habits have helped other people succeed. Because that's all these books are. A lot of the information is similar. It's just the really good people um, can tell a good story and get you to tie in with it. That's what I like about stoicism because it helps me reflect on the choices that I made when they were bad and why I made them because I was just acting on emotion. I wasn't thinking about the long game. I was just thinking about the initial, oh, my ego's damaged. Oh, I need to find out the truth. Like Silly things like that, like the blame, not looking within. But if you don't know any better, that's all I knew back then. I didn't, I didn't, I think 
nowadays people are blessed because they've got phones, you've got Audible. Like when I was younger, we didn't have the access to these stuff. If, if I want, if, if a school teacher hadn't taught me, like, oh, you should read these books, then we never would have known about them. It's only because now with social media advertising and you see everything, we've got Audible, you've got a mobile phone, you can you can reach out and you can you can literally teach yourself anything online. Yeah, I agree, Matt. I reckon that the, the stuff that you've read there and the stuff that you've listened to, that Ryan Holiday is the, the author that's done The Obstacle of the Way and he's done yeah. a number of other things that are really, really powerful. And I've, I've, I've had an impact on me, to be honest, as well, Stu, because we're all human and we're all, we'll all go back to that inner person that's inside of us that yeah. occasionally we make, yeah, we make mistakes, don't we? But then having something where you've got an opportunity to hold that and then reflect on what you've done and then learn from it. Hopefully you don't make the same mistake twice. Um, Matt, yeah. just, just from your perspective going forward, it's been the journey of this pod has been unbelievably deep with, with some of the experiences you've had. Going forward though now, where do you feel Stuart Reading is in the future? Where, where can you see your path going to? Where's your journey going to take you? Oh, I'm in a good place now. I, mean, I really enjoy what I do. What I'm doing, like creating pictures and videos. I suppose I probably specialise in creating small adverts for people to help them advertise their businesses. Um, I see myself joining a production or some sort of marketing team because although I'm, I've gone all in and I'm like two years in now, I'm doing okay. I've, because I've learned that much about the whole process that you need more people to work in production because there's so much to do, so much to learn. Like it took me for maybe four or five years to build up all the equipment I have now. Like, and it's a lot of money, cameras and stuff that's expensive and home computers to work on. You'll know yourself. So I see myself joining forces with someone like me or a production. Um, I'm really liking the path I'm on. Um, I just need to get better. The biggest thing that you tend to do with everything in your life is you just, like you said, you're all in. You jump everything in and you go for it. The other thing yeah. that you said then about the path that you've been on with with the photography and the videography stuff is you've you've done things relatively cheap in order to create experience. And we learn yeah. from experience and we learn from practical application of our trade. So you've done that and actually thought, well, I need to get on the wagon here. I need to find a way to try and hone my skill. And then when I get better, that then can increase the amount of finances that I can gain off the back of what I'm doing, which is a really powerful lesson itself as well. Um, Matt, I've got to say from, from my perspective, it's been inspirational to listen to somebody whose positive outlook on life is just so different to the, the adversity you've been to is um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty big, isn't it? And the way that you've come through it and how you reflect on that and how you look at it now with, with humor is uh, it's a really powerful story, mate. So I'm really appreciative that you're giving us your time and I'm really appreciative oh, that you've you. shared it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Nice to look back and see the past. Uh, about it. Stu, thanks obviously for Shoot. coming on. I, I, mate, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty disappointed. I didn't know about the dartboard reading story. Um, <laughs> oh, which such a, good, uh, such a good story. You know what? I, I had to, I had to keep it in because at the time when I was young, 
I was listening to radio and I was like, oh, I'm never going to live this down. But it never stuck. No, no one ever called me Dad Bod Rain, apart from the lads who were with. But it was, it's quite a good name. And you know what, I'll tell you, do you know what, this Dad Bod as well, back then I was, I had a bad temper. I mean, maybe a week after Christmas, I smashed it up in a bit of rage. <laughs> <laughs> my mum, like, she knew that I was that good and the lads kept coming around knocking on the door on the bikes going, come on, Stu, and I'd have to run after them. She just ended up giving in. Bless her. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've, I, it's, you know, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of your different parts of your life and your story, mate. I, I urge anyone to go out and, and, and read your books or buy your books because the, yeah, they're awesome. They should. They are, they're really good books. And I, the, the two that I've read, the Undefeated and Model Boyfriend in particular, take us a, into a bit of a deeper diver again in detail around loose elements of your life. I know. Um, I love seeing your, your video profile and and work grow and and evolve and mate thank you very much for being so candid sharing you know some really deep details and mate like i'm with millsy to still be smiling and and talking about your story with humor after all of those challenges mate is a a big respect so uh thank you very much you're welcome you're welcome got a mate on you what's the other what's the other option go big or go home this is it Go all in. If you've got any advice for the kids out there, anything you want to do, go all in or go home. <laughs> <laughs> That's the words of dartboard reading. <laughs> go through the bullseye or don't go all. <laughs> Double tops. Double tops or don't bother. Double tops. Well, uh, I I knew Stu would be uh, an interesting... Uh, story to listen to but uh, I think there's someone that absolutely emancipates a positive outlook on life Um, listening to that story just someone that really owns every single piece but still irrespective I thought right that that must be the end of the bad testing time for Stu and then he was like oh yeah and then I went this or that happens and it every time he just bounced back with I'd imagine a smile on his face at the time, but just this unrelenting positive positive attitude about framing things with humour and that everything's going to be okay. And I it, it it blew me away at the time. But listening to the whole story, like I, I just massive respect in a, a complete one-off human being. Yeah, man, I, I agree. I thought it was quite. It's it it took me by surprise on how how he responded with every bit of adversity that he had to face and and not just one element, like every element and facet of his life at one time was crumbling and falling apart. Um, I loved how he framed it. I loved how he knew he had some really close people around him and the friends that he's had from a young age that he could talk to and laugh about and, you know, probably kept him very grounded and very focused on, on making a really crap situation, the best situation it could be. Um, and he's he's looked to use the, those situations to improve himself. So you used, you used that sort of word, owned it. He, he was accountable for himself. He didn't look to blame, didn't look to complain, didn't look to defend. He just looked to be accountable for his own actions and, and what, what involvement he had in some of the poor things that had happened in his life and took action as well um 
I love that that all in approach. Like if you're all in when you make a decision, you leave very little room for regret. So then your reflection afterwards is, well, was that the right choice? Yes, it was. Brilliant. Was it the wrong choice? Yes, it was. That's my fault. Move on, build, grow, develop. Typical growth mindset attitude. I, I loved it, Sterlo. I really appreciate you getting him on, Matt. I, uh, Stu, Stu has always been all in as well. And I, um, we do giggle about, I'm not sure if he referenced it in the pod about this pyramid selling mushroom coffee piece. And I remember, mate, he, he, he was struggling and I, he didn't have too much money. And he rang me all excited. He was like, Sterlo, I was like, what? He goes, we get, I, I, I'm going to make it. I've got this new business venture. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> I think still to this day, Stu's got, if you go around to his house, he will offer you some mushroom coffee. Um, but, uh, I just, listen, I just think testing testament to the man he's, he's forging a, a new direction. His books are fantastic and you'll probably appreciate this one, Millsy. It's not often you see a, a group of, or back in the day, probably rugby league boys that do a whip round and I, I you know, they, they wanted to look after Stu because they felt despite what the public message was that Stu was a decent person and, and was sort of treated very unfairly. Yeah. And again, that's testament to his personality and who he was around the group of people that he was, that he was with. You could tell that from, I mean, this is the first time that I've met him and, and talking to him and you could tell that a mile off that he's, that he's a genuine guy. Um, and and he, he comes across extremely well and his attitude and the way that he delivers his, his, um, his outlook is authentic. It's real. I think the bit that I take, mate, whenever you speak to Stu, and like I said, well, it's probably the first time like for you, but it doesn't matter what is going on in life or how you're looking at things. He just inspires you to, to find a, a positive space and, and to be looking forward. And at no point even in, you know, it was a brief an hour and a bit, did he look back with anything with regret? So I just think he's the way that he lives his life and has gone about his business just inspires you to, to do the same. And I can't think of anything else much more that could have happened to a person that that might have broken anyone lesser, but he's, he's just, he's just carried on, carried on. And I, I really hope that persistence and positive outlook brings him some some real success and and reward going forward because he's also taken it upon himself to you know I think it's been a theme of some of our pods to keep on learning to educate himself um and you know I think he's seeing he's seeing the benefits of that now with regards to his new family and and his business yeah absolutely man and and I I really appreciate you you asking him to come on um, and and his time because he's a very busy man. But like you like you alluded to, then he displays the, the typical um, attributes of a growth mindset, and he's he's also very inspiring in his positive outlook on the decisions he's made previously and taking ownership for those decisions, and then looking at how you can grow to improve. And ultimately, I suppose that's what we all probably struggle with at times, really owning some of the, the, the choices that we have made um, and making sure we're, we're reflective on our involvements in those choices. And if we can do that, and if we can own 
what we've done, then we can then quite safely say we've we we can progress, we can improve, we can move forward, rather than looking to to elicit blame. I can put it better myself, mate. I think uh, another episode where we've we've seen another depth of story behind a person, um, and especially with Stu, probably some misconceptions in in maybe some of the stories they've read, or also with regards to sort of his his social media and and his modelling. So uh, another privilege, another opportunity for us to learn. Um, hopefully the pod will get better. Um, and I'm looking forward to moving into the festive period with uh, with some more special guests, mate. Awesome, pal. Thank you. I've got to be super organised. What? What are you? Are you like that as a person? Anyway, Stu, are you like on it when it comes to organisation? Uh, no, but I've had to learn to be. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, you can't be not on it. Hey, atomic habits. Atomic habits. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but atomic habits, right? Well, I'll, in that note, let's not go get, too far. You go right, straight on. Okay, get on that book. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Physio Spill. Please don't be shy in coming forward on our socials or our website, www.thephysiospill.com. Have a good week.